Welcome to the Thundercast, your martial athletics podcast produced by the fans, for the fans, with your hosts, Russ Livingood and KD Hudnall. We're bringing you the thundering word on the thundering herd each and every week. So keep it right here. The Thundercast is on the loose. Thanks for downloading another episode of the Thundercast. You can follow us on Twitter at Thundercast underscore pod. Russ, we've got a bowl game recap that we've got to get through. We've got some, uh, I guess, recruiting type news that we can touch on a little bit. Portal news we can touch on a little bit. And we've got some other informative stuff coming up at the end of this episode. So we've got a fair amount to get through given that it's the end of the calendar year. And there's not terribly a lot going on, but there's still a lot kind of newsworthy stuff Mm -hmm. going on so before we get into it let's get a quick word from our sponsors at 304carwreck.com if you've been injured in a car wreck visit 304carwreck.com on the web or on facebook what happens when an ohio driver crashes into a west virginia driver in kentucky that can be a mess but if you can dream it up jason and matt have probably been there done that and gotten their clients paid don't fight the insurance companies alone. Contact Jason and Matt at 304carwreck.com. It's the end of the year. Football mm-hmm. season is finally over. And now we turn our attention from a football standpoint to portal news, recruiting news, and all that good stuff, along with, well, we still get to look forward to some coaching names uh, that are going to be announced eventually for the herd. So uh, let's get it all kicked off this week with five things that every herd fan needs to know. Here are five things every herd fan needs to know this week. As always, brought to you by Ignite Link, the Tri-State's premier IT management team. Number one, Matthew Bell selected 16th overall in the MLS Super Draft, and Morris Dugan is taken in the third round. Now, I did see that, right? And that's awesome because it's Marshall's highest ever uh, MLS mm-hmm. draft pick. And uh, I don't remember if it was the first time ever in the Second. same class. Okay, so I was going to say, time. it didn't feel like the first time ever. But uh, multiple players selected in the MLS draft. Hey, man, I mean, do we have to go in-depth about this? Uh, I tweeted in real time that I think uh, Matthew Bell's an absolute steal at 16. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, you talk about the type of player that can be a cornerstone for your organization for a very long time. It seems like Matthew Bell is that type of guy. And there were so many interviews with him during draft day that were circulating around, you know, um, really cool to watch, man. Uh, you know, you really don't see, or you really didn't hear a lot from him during his time at Marshall. And I, I guess that does put to bed one thing. He will not be back for the herd. It gets he's playing MLS, which isn't really a shocker, but man, how selfish would it have been to have him back for one more year, or selfish of us as Herd fans, not for him, to have him back for one more year. Just an all-time, all-time great. And um, no slight to Dugan as well. We can't really just breeze past him. What he did was pretty amazing here as well. Uh, I, I immediately followed the accounts of the teams that these guys were drafted by because, hey, man, you got to keep up with the with the Herd greats on the pro mm-hmm. uh, circuits. and. It just proves it just proves what what we've been speculating about for a number of years. You know, seen it a little bit with other guys that have gone to pro leagues and, and the MLS, but uh, we're entering that phase now. You're talking about high first round draft picks. It's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time before this this program is churning out that first, second, third overall pick type thing. So awesome news to start out uh, this episode. Yeah, we uh, had some speculation last year that we heard that. Uh, 
Bell may go and get drafted last year and everything. You know, it was heavily, heavily speculated. And then he said he was returning and and um it it just seemed like with the level of production that he put up that this was going to be that year, you know, that he he would probably go. I would have loved to have him back. Who wouldn't? Mm-hmm. But uh we wish him and Dugan the best of luck. And all this does is show incoming transfers, incoming recruits. You can come here to Marshall and you can go play in the MLS and be one of the highest drafted uh on on the draft day. Yep. All right, so number two, got Jaden Harrison and Eli Neal named the Hero Group of Five All-Americans. Harrison was on the first team uh, for special teams returner, and uh, Neal was named to the second team. Yeah, Hero Sports uh, is just you know another uh, sports outlet. So uh, I encourage you to follow them on their social media outlets because they they do pay particular attention to G5 leagues and 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 things like that and even though it's that's a separator you know they call you a G5 all-american well it golly based on the um comments that kind of caught fire with Chip Kelly and and his feelings around college football man does it ever feel like we are trending in that direction more so than ever so i don't know that you necessarily take that as a slight because it's starting to just be what it is you know and we know that G5 football is highly competitive and there are tons of talented players that come out of uh, our ranks all the time and they transfer to bigger schools. And, you know, it's always funny to me that while they're in, let's say a Marshall uniform, these teams try to talk them down. But as soon as they hit the portal, they're like, well, we need that guy because he's an impact player and he can make a difference for our defense or our offense. Then all of a sudden he's a great player. So I think that's funny as hell. And it shows the, um, you know, the double standard in college football. But that's another topic for another day. What we're talking about right now is All-American honors for two of our guys. And Mm well-deserved. Eli Neal flew under the radar for so many publications and on a national level and and on a conference level because of guys like Jason Henderson. You know, whenever you have a guy like you're playing the same position as somebody that's leading the nation in tackles, you're just going to get overshadowed. But man, if he didn't really turn it on at the end of the year and, you know, we're going to talk about the bowl game here in a little bit. He went out with a bang, Eli Neal, all those guys, Porter went out with a bang. Abraham went out with a bang. All the guys that particularly on defense, those big three that we were all like, yes, they're coming back. They made the most of their final game and it was awesome to see, but huge congratulations to Jaden and uh, Eli Neal. Two of the two of the greats, and I'm really glad that it, at least for now, it looks like we uh, are going to have Jaden Harrison back. There's a there's a plenty of time to be speculated, and things can happen. But for right now, I don't hear any rumblings about him entertaining going anywhere, and he's going to be a huge piece for the herd moving forward if he stays. And finally, there was another SIS football All American given out to Jaden Harrison. That is one uh, that is way further down than Walter camp and all these others, but still it's an accolade that we cannot gloss over. Harrison was named to, I think four of these different uh, lists that I saw now. No five, I think uh, as an all American. So just absolutely monster uh, game that again, we're going to talk about for him, but uh, he has really come on here uh, this year. All right. Number three, there is an all-new dugout club for Marshall Baseball. And 
We want to announce that on here and talk about it, but later on in this show, we're going to have a representative from the Dugout Club talk about it, answer a bunch of questions. So we're not going to get too in-depth in it right here. No, we're not. We're going to let the pros talk about the program. We're not going to give out bad information or speculative information. We're just going to get the information straight from the sources. But this isn't, uh, they're calling it all new, but it's basically a rebranding, right? They're, we've had a dugout club forever, right? It's, it's the championship fund, basically type deal for baseball only. Uh, all the other sports or most of them have that too. You know, the diamond club is for softball. That that's that's actually why this is called all new. The championship fund is separate than this. This is totally different, and uh, it, it's not going to be the same. That was previously called the dugout club. Oh, so that's the, the rebranding part. That's okay. that's the reason that it. This is the all new. They it's only similar because it has the name of what yeah. the championship fund had previously. So that's why we need to let those guys uh, clear up all this. I did a little bit of reading up on on everything, but I still have questions that we need to ask them so oh, we can yeah. get the correct info. Out. Well, if we have questions, I'm sure other herd fans have, and particularly sure. members that were in the dugout club before probably yeah. have some questions, and we're going to get those cleared up. Uh, but it's a big um, it's a big time in herd history for Marshall baseball. We all know it. They're making the calls for uh, season tickets, and I'll tell you what. We got the call yesterday as we record on the 21st. So we got the call yesterday, and we secured our seats. So we'll have season tickets for uh, Herd Baseball to give away to all the Herd fans. And, and when I got the call, they told me, it, you know, it's getting – it's starting to get pretty slim, you know. So if you have uh, haven't received the call yet and you're expecting to get – seats in a certain area thinking that there was not going to be a problem with that. You may want to have a backup plan, a backup backup plan, and even a fourth, fifth, or sixth option because by the time it gets to you, there just might not be much left. So be prepared um, to talk it through and not rush the process. But it's going to be really great to have um, somebody from the dugout club come on here in a little bit and and give us the right info and get that out to herd fans because Man, we, we really need to rally behind herd baseball, right? New stadium, uh, all new season tickets being handed out or available for purchase. And we all know what Sunbelt baseball is. It is a highly competitive league, to say the least. And this is somewhere where Marshall can start to gain a little foothold in a, in a new sport in this conference. And, uh, you know, we've seen softball do it. Now we need to see baseball start to do it. And it, it's, it's going to be an easier path with more support. So... Um, if you're if you're excited about baseball, if you've always been a baseball fan and and maybe been ho-hum about herd baseball, maybe the time is now to get away from being ho-hum and being all in on herd baseball. All right, number four, we have some transfer portal news. We had after the bowl game, we had two players uh, that we can confirm have uh, transferred, and that's Elijah Alston and John McConnell. Mm-hmm. And then we have more transfers that have come in over the past week that we can talk about. Now, I have to say real quick, I have an article over on Thundercast.online that highlights all of this stuff. We updated every two to three days, but we decided to wait on this one to the day after the bowl game because usually that's when you're going to see some uh, transfers enter. 
but also it coincided with signing day and that's when Marshall announced uh, some of these officially as signing. So uh, thoughts on uh, Alston and McConnell before I get into those that transferred in. Yeah. Two huge pieces for the herd. We know that. And, you know, up until this point, it was, all right, well, we lost Trent Holler. He was a pretty productive offensive lineman. We lost Sean Salas. We thought he was going to be a bigger weapon in 24. But now we're starting to see players that were really impactful for the herd. We sung the praises of John McConnell all season long. He was a huge bright spot. And it would not surprise me if he is going to be a coveted specialist in the portal because the kid is just great at what he does. And Elijah Austin, that one was really, really surprising. And that was a guy that I thought would be a cornerstone piece for the herd defensive line next season because he was really, really impactful this year. And he's not just your typical edge rusher. He's not just, you know, a speed guy or a run stopper. He's an all-around defender. And I don't think it's evidenced any better than the, what was it, 85-yard pick six that he had against, I believe it was Old Dominion. I mean, dang. Was it Old Dominion? I think it was Old Dominion. I thought it was Virginia Tech. I don't know. We'll have to, anyway, anyway, whatever it is. It was during the early portion of the season and it went 85 yards the other way. And a, a crazy athletic play. But he was a guy that that I think, if, I, if I'm going to put a sting level to him, I think Austin shoots to number one on the sting level for me just because of what we knew we were losing on the defensive line anyway through exhaustion of eligibility and potential, you know, uh, just guys being done, right? Um, I thought he and Mike Green would make a nice combo next year. And, uh, you know, we always wish them the best, but it, it doesn't make it any less painful when guys that you're kind of banking on decide to hit the portal. And immediately upon hitting the portal, he started tweeting out, you know, XYZ school offered, ABC school offered. So you can tell that he was a very, very popular player in the portal so now it's just where will he land because he had offers across the country at at, at both levels of division one ball both p5 and g5 so say what you want to say right i don't think that you're in a win-win situation with fans and i know players probably don't care about that and they really shouldn't but you're not in a you're not in a winning situation with that right because if you announce before the bowl game then they're going to take it some sort of way if you announce after the bowl game, then they're going to take it some sort of way too. And I think this is a nicer way to do it, right? If you were going to leave, you didn't make you didn't make any indication about it before the bowl game. You prepped and played and and gave it your all right there for the bowl game, like uh, you would hope fans would hope you would do. And then after the bowl game, you're like, all right, I'm hitting the portal. I think that's respectful. You know, I don't want to see them leave, but. They didn't announce before. They made themselves available for the bowl game. They played for the herd one final time and. That's the best of a bad scenario, if you ask me. Yeah, and uh, just briefly, the reason uh, that they have to decide when am I going to enter and some people go early, um, you know, it's kind of indicative. Uh, let's say you're a quarterback and several other quarterbacks pop in and say, well, I'm in the transfer portal. Well, you've got to go in immediately if you're going to do that because you have visits that you have to take. You have to get offers and everything. You have to move to that school. You have to enroll in that school, and you've got to do that before the semester starts. So there is a time limit on what you need to do 
and you know some people had to get in early uh otherwise there weren't going to be any spots to be taken yeah all right so uh here's who we got coming in all right uh we have uh several several people and this seems like it's old now that have, have come in we already talked about uh tyshawn chapman from wide receiver or from north carolina wide receiver coming in uh jeremy jones offensive lineman from tulsa justin holmes a tight end from kent state um mitch griffiths a quarterback from wake forest christian fitzpatrick a wide receiver from michigan state Jason Shuford, a D lineman from East Carolina, Elijah Metcalf, a wide receiver from Middle Tennessee, and Jordan Houston, a running back from NC State. We now have eight transfers in, and most of those came in over that la- that uh, final week here. Yeah, and uh, there was one more that came in late yesterday that uh, you didn't make your list. That's okay, but I got it here. It, it's a uh, Freshman offensive lineman transfer from Vanderbilt, Barrett. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was not on here um, uh, on my list. It came in yesterday at, I think, 3.52 p.m. or something's when the facts came in. Yeah, it it was – but this is a – a little more even of a class now, high school and transfers, right? And and we would expect that. We know that super seniors are now – fading out and those guys that not only had the extra COVID season, but also maybe had a medical season in there too, to extend into that sixth or seventh year. Those are really getting like out of here now. So the transfer portal now, as we know, it is not going to be a completely sustainable way to build a class. I think you're going to start to see more of the traditional high school recruiting and transfer portal mixture as opposed to the you know heavy transfers because, let's face it, man, a lot of those guys just now aren't going to be in there. That extra year or two years made for a lot of extra guys that you could plug holes with. And, you know, for the people that hate the transfer portal, this is the news you want to hear because that means you're – High school recruiting is going to, you know, fall back in line more so than where it was. It's never going to probably overtake the portal. It's still going to be there. At best, you can hope maybe it's a 50-50 or a maybe 60-40 type deal. But you're always going to have the portal. It's always going to be there. Um, and just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's going to go away because it, it, there are days that I hate it. There are absolute days that I hate it. But there are also days that I'm like, hey, yeah. You know, and that just goes along with the news of the day. We lose a guy that I really wanted to keep. I hate it. But if we get a guy that I think can be instantly impactful and plug a area of need, then I'm like, yes, I love it. But uh, we will have we'll we'll do a more in-depth type recruiting breakdown because uh, the official early signing period ends on the 22nd, I believe. So we figured it would be best to let that early signing period run its course and then do a full more in-depth recap of the class. So we'll do something like that uh, here in a couple of days. Yeah. Uh, Before we move on to the fifth one, which is about signing day, we have uh, a few people that came in that uh, has caused a lot of discussion. First is six foot four wide receiver from Michigan state, Christian Fitzpatrick in his commitment says committed to the air raid. Right. I don't think that you're going to have a conversation with an incoming wide receiver 
and let him just assume that it's going to be an air raid offense. So it seems to me like the air raid is coming with Daigie. And uh, it's kind of exciting. You know, we we had offensive struggles this year, and air raid has always put points up on the board. It's been uh, exciting. And, you know, fans of 90s Marshall football have always wanted, you know, lots of passing, lots of yards, lots of touchdowns. So kind of exciting. Thoughts on that? Of course it's exciting. You know, the worrisome part for me is you're installing a completely new style of offense with a lot of new pieces. That can be a good thing, can be a bad thing, right? We saw all season long that things like drops were an issue, that inaccurate passing was an issue at times. The turnover bug, the interception bug popped up a lot. And, of course, we're going to be talking about at least some new quarterbacks, and we'll definitely be talking about a new starting quarterback for 2024 because, you know, Cam Fancher hit the portal and he just isn't on the roster anymore. So whether it's whether it's Cole Pennington or whether it's Griffiths or whether it's a, somebody that isn't even on the roster yet, then you will have those conversations in the spring. It's exciting because I think everybody loves a high-flying passing downfield offense, right? And... um I think it's also indicative uh, and not really um, that surprising when you think, okay, well, Rasheen Ali's not going to be back, so they're not going to be taking carries away from an explosive player like Rasheen Ali. Uh, But it does make you wonder, like, okay, well, what are we truly going to look like? Is it going to be more of a hybrid thing? Are we going flat out passing the ball 75 times a game? Like, what is it going to be? Cautiously optimistic, yet a little worrisome is where I'm at right now because I know that it's not a one-year – You, I'll say this. It's usually not a one-year, one-off-season transformation that leads to instantaneous success. Usually teams and, and coaches with a history, a proven history of the air raid, it still takes them several seasons worth of recruiting to get the guys and as many pieces in place as they need, and then it still has to work. So – uh, I'm excited about the the uh, outlook, right? I think that'll be fun to watch. I just worry about uh, the effectiveness in the first season of trying to run the air raid. That's all. Yeah. It doesn't mean I'm against it. It just means like, man, that's a big it's a big change from a run heavy offense and an RPO type thing to a traditional air raid. If that's what we're going to do. And the other heavy. Uh conversation came from us picking up a quarterback you know obviously that is the um, usual leader of a team that's the number one um, player that everyone thinks makes or breaks a team you know good or bad on most offenses you know Um, picking up Mitch Griffiths we had a lot of people say well you know I expected us to pick up someone bigger I expected us to pick up someone with bigger stats you know well you expect Uh, someone to come from an air raid type of offense or at least from an air raid roster and i don't think anybody's going to say wake forest is that team that's what that comes from i think so what i would tell you is we lost several different quarterbacks uh from this team you know mcmahon we don't expect him to be back uh pancher and harrison both entered the portal and we heard coach huff say before right here on this show that when you get a quarterback uh, room, you need to have like 
so many on the roster and you want to have so many of them be freshmen, so many of them be sophomores, so many of them juniors. Right now, we don't have anybody above that sophomore level. Mm -hmm. So this seems to be a depth piece. And when I say depth, I do not mean that he will not be the starter. I think that he will be given, you know, with a new uh, offense being installed, he will be given the chance, Griffiths, to become that starter, along with Pennington, along with anybody that's on the roster and anybody that's not on the roster. But by depth, I mean as far as the pecking order of class rankings on, yeah. on where they are. Yeah, you need somebody in every at every class status yeah. because we had three freshman quarterback in that one class. And and again, yeah. I don't know if we talked about this on the on the pod before, but we all felt like two of the three of those guys were going to go somewhere. And we saw, yeah, sure. we did talk about it. Zamora went first, Harrison now, and that leaves Cole Pennington as the as the one from that class that remains, right? So you need to fill out somebody in the class statuses. That's why I feel like we might not necessarily be done at quarterback, and this is purely speculation, Same. purely speculation, but it feels like if you're going to try this transition, you're going to go after somebody that has a background in the air raid or at least in the coaching philosophies of the air raid, somebody that's an upperclassman that's played a lot of mm -hmm. football and has been productive and maybe just a one-year grad transfer guy. Might just yeah. be that, right? So yeah. – I'm not going to be surprised if there is another quarterback taken and that guy is a one-year guy, and I'm not going to be surprised if there isn't a quarterback taken. It just feels to me right now, no knock on anybody that's been announced or on the roster at all. I just feel like there's going to be a uh, senior or grad transfer with one year of eligibility remaining, or maybe two, to come in and at least push Cole, push Griffiths, push Parachek, and everybody else to be their best QB, and the best guy's going to win out. New system, new everything. It's going to be an open competition. Yeah, it would actually shock me if we don't take another quarterback, uh, and it's it's simply to the numbers game is sure. the reason, not not due to performance. It would just shock me if we don't bring in another quarterback uh, for depth or anything. All right, and finally, we are not going to have a huge recap of this, uh, but we had 19 players on signing day yesterday, and that included eight of those transfers that we talked about, 11 uh, signees from high school. You can find those on HerdZone.com. It's the latest story as of right now, uh, but if it's not scrolled down just a little, it's going to be one of your most recent stories on there. And it will list each one of them, where they're from and all that stuff. Uh, we will have a more in-depth thing uh, after signing day in February when, mm -hmm. uh, when higher class has been announced, uh, just like we did last year. But as of right now, head on over to Herd Zone and you can get all 11 of the incoming uh, people plus the eight that had uh, transferred in before uh, Maddox that you had mentioned came in late last night. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll recap it all here shortly. We just want to let the early signing period completely complete. And then again, yeah, we'll do it again. Uh, but let's let's transition, man. We've got a game that we've got to recap and and. I don't know. It, it, I'm not going to breeze through it, but damn, we all watched it and, and it did not go the way that we had hoped it would go. And there were some storylines leading in, not only from a herd standpoint, but from a UTSA standpoint that were surprising day of the game. It was announced that Frank Harris was not going to play for UTSA was unavailable. And, you know, 
made me feel like, all right, we've got a way better chance of doing this, and and it didn't work out that way. So Frisco Bowl recap, 35-17, to 17, Marshall takes the loss, dropping the herd to 6-7 and seven on the season in year three under Coach Huff. Uh, that in of itself is going to rub some people the wrong way because a lot of folks, in and, and rightfully so, in this era of college football, they point to year three as the year that it all has to come together, and that's where you see the best progress, and year two was where we saw the best progress. So it is what it is, right? Uh, he's got one more year to go. We're not going to get into speculation on Willie, Wony, anything. It just is what it is, six and seven in 2023. and. Let's talk about it. Uh, total yards, time of possession, first downs, thirds downs, and turnovers, all essentially won by UTSA. Uh, total yards, 386 to 367, very close, but still edge UTSA. Time of possession can't get any closer, really. Uh, 30 minutes, one second for the herd, 29.59 for UTSA. So, yeah, Marshall won it, but. I think some I think the Roadrunners were more effective with their time of possession. First downs 20 to 13 edge UTSA. Third downs 7 of 14 for UTSA, 5 of 18 for Marshall. Turnovers the herd did win the turnover battle 3 to 1, but it was really a barrage of early turnovers uh where Marshall made the waves and they even capitalized on them. So uh, it, Marshall carried a 14 to nothing lead in the first quarter, but after that, it was essentially all UTSA. 35 to three, they outscored the herd in the final three quarters. Russ, I'm going to get right into it so we can get through stats and just go to grades. Let's do all of our discussion in the grades. Cole Pennington, 15 of 33, 258 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. He was sacked six times, and he did have one fumble. It wasn't a lost fumble, but he did fumble. Colin Parachek also threw a pass in this one, 0 of 1 with an interception that occurred on a 4th and 14 uh, that went, ended up being a 57-yard return the other way. Did not go for touchdown, but it did set up a touchdown on the next play for UTSA. Rasheen Ali, 9 carries, 92 yards and a touchdown, including a 64-yard long, which was a new career-long touchdown for uh, Rasheen and was a Frisco Bowl record. Ethan Payne, 11 carries, 34 yards, and a touchdown. Jaden Harrison led the way in receptions and yards, six receptions for 132 yards with a long of 52, average of 22.0 yards per reception. Chuck Montgomery, just two catches, but for 59 yards with a long of 31, had a 29.5-yard per reception average. Man. Stephen Dix Jr. led the way from a tackle standpoint for the Herd defense. Nine tackles, seven solo. He had one sack and a tackle for loss. Eli Neal, great game. We mentioned it in the lead-in in the five things. Eight total tackles, four solo, one tackle for loss. He had an interception and a fumble recovery. He was freaking everywhere for the Herd all game long. A.G. McGee, seven tackles, four solo. Then the other two guys, Owen Porter, Micah Abraham, both five total tackles. Porter with four solo, didn't get credited for a sack or a tackle for loss. I guess they're saying that first tackle of the game was right at the line of scrimmage, but whatever. Uh, Micah Abraham, three solo, two passes defended, and a beautiful gimme-that-type interception where he not only wrestled the ball away but juggled it a little bit and still ended up coming up with the ball. Impact plays for the herd, just two sacks on the day. They did have two interceptions, one forced fumble and one fumble recovery. Reese Verhoff struggled in special teams from a kicking standpoint, just one of three 
on field goals with a long of 44. He missed from 53 and missed from 34. The caveat to that is he should have been two of three, and it would not have been a 53-yarder but a 48-yarder, but the herd took points off the board with a false start on a freaking field goal. Alec Clark handled all the punting duties for the herd in this one. Seven total punts, 282 yards, a 40.3-yard average with a long of 48, landing one inside the 20, which I guess is not surprising seeing that we saw John McConnell hit the portal the day after the bowl game. Jaden Harrison, just two opportunities to return kicks, both uh, combined for 36 yards with a long of 23. So he didn't get a ton of opportunities, but he made some decent waves when he got a shot. Russ, let's re revisit keys to victory real quick. What was your number one key to victory that the herd had to have? Well, let me get over here to those. It's on a separate thing. Um, I had create a new identity and own it. Uh, they were missing uh, QB1, leading receiver, anchor on the O-line, emerging tight end, and four coaches being gone. That's why we had to have a new identity. I think that we did create a new identity. We had some passing, uh, crossing routes. We had um, uh, a lot more down the field passing uh, from Pennington. Uh, they were throwing uh, absolute bombs 30, 40 yards down. I feel like they actually did create that new uh, offensive identity. I just do not feel that they owned it. Uh, I think uh, creating the identity, one thing owning it totally different. So I'm going to have to give them a red X, even though I did like uh, the new formations, the new routes, uh, throwing the ball downfield. I liked it all. We just did not translate that to a lot of points on the board. My number one key to victory was that Rasheen Ali had to go out with a bang. Guess what? He did that. The bad news was it only happened for a half, you know, and, and there was speculation out there of whether, you know, he chose to set out if, Coach Huff told him, you're done. The term pitch count came into the broadcast and and, and the post game. Um, I think it was the game plan all along. I, I, I really do. I think once he said, I'll play in the bowl, he didn't opt out. I think it was a uh, – I think that was the game plan for him to play the first half and no matter what, to set out the second half. He probably would have played for the herd because his body language and stuff didn't say, I ain't going back in. He had pads on. He didn't go in at halftime and put on street clothes. You know, they just kind of took his helmet away from him and called it a day. But he most certainly went out with a bang. He gave us a vintage Rasheen Ali performance to where you get some tough runs, you get some larger runs, those five, six-yard runs, and then you break the 64-yard long touchdown. He carried the ball a few times after that because it was just, you know, there was time left in the half. but. um I tweeted in real time that it's hard to fathom that if he doesn't play the whole game, that Marshall absolutely keeps this game closer and maybe even changes some things, right? But it is what it is. That's the bad part of bowl season now. And that's why a lot of folks get turned off to bowl games uh, because these these other guys, and, and, and Rasheen included, they wanted that game, all of them. I mean, it got chippy a number of times. You could tell it was important to them. So whoever made the decision, whatever the case may be, Rasheen Ali absolutely went out with a bang. So that was a check mark for me. What was your number two? Uh, real quick on that speculation, uh, there was somebody that was on the sideline, not on the current team, not anything like that, just someone that was on the sidelines. And they were saying in real time that uh, Ali got banged up on his elbow. Uh, I don't remember. It was in the second quarter. 
Um, so I think at that point, this is me speculating. It might have been best to take a person out when you've got NFL draft combine coming up and all this different stuff to just err on the side of caution. You know, it, we all were surprised coming into the game that it was confirmed that he was going to play with so many different people in that similar situation, not playing at all. And uh, it just seems to me like that is a likely scenario is that, yeah, they were probably not going to try to give him 30 to 35 touches during the game. But uh, as soon as he got dinged up, it wasn't even in the end of the second quarter. He was not in, you know, so it seems like after that happened, they were just like, well, let's take him out. And, you know, it's not worth putting him back in. It is what it is, as you said. Number two for me was force interceptions of Frank Harris. He has two games this year where he had more INTs than touchdowns. Those were the two games he lost. Well, couldn't intercept Frank Harris because he didn't play. We did start out with two interceptions against uh, McCown, and that led to us being up 14-0 early. Uh, I just uh, I don't know where to get that because Frank Harris didn't play. You know, I don't so I don't know if that's a check. Uh, that's a I mean it's actually a check, right? Because it's I think you were more concerned with getting the interceptions than who was throwing the interceptions, right? Yeah, but we were expecting Harris to play and he we expected to put up a lot bigger numbers than McCown was going to put up as a, hey, a true he had freshman. a pretty good day. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean but going in that would have been the uh uh, but anyway, that's that's where I'm at on there. I put that one as a question mark officially for me. All right. Now, my number two was the Marshall run defense must look like the late season Marshall run defense and not the early season run defense. Early in the game, they did. They looked great. Late in the game when, uh, you know, it kind of softened up and, and UTSA had a lead and, you know, they didn't have to really do anything. They were just they just had a luxury. You know, uh, it, it didn't look that well now they didn't give up the 70 yard touchdown and that was mainly what I was talking about you know with that point but they gave up a 17 yard rushing touchdown they they, you know we starting to give up those six seven eight yard runs and and the third and fours were getting picked up it was that kind of stuff but it was a half because for the first quarter part of the first half most of the first half in the run game they looked really good what was your they they looked like the 85 Bears is what they looked like early in that game, but they only had uh, 135 yeah. yards rushing on 41 attempts. Right. And uh, I, I'd say that you could probably give that a check because they did look really good. It's Number the three, three touchdowns on the ground that really, you know, kind of mitigate that overall yardage allowed. One of, one of them was one a one-yard yeah, run, but yeah. still, I, I'm with it. Yeah. Right. All right. Uh, three for me was contained Cephas and Ogle Kellogg. Uh, I'm going to say no on that. Uh, yeah. We we did not contain them early. We were doing a great job because we were getting to McCown, but uh, all of a sudden he reeled off like 13 in a row or something crazy like that. Uh, so I got to give that a red X for me. Yeah. It, my number three was uh, Cole Pennington must play well early and find consistency. And he played pretty well. He didn't turn the ball over. That was my big key for that one, right? In the in the previous two starts that Cole had had, we had seen a very, very early turnover. We didn't see that. Uh, the co- consistency was kind of yes and no, right? So he was inconsistent being consistent, but consistency was kind of there, if that makes sense. It, we're talking inches here, man. Like inches leading leading a player 
a little bit, a step or two, and he's got yeah. two or three touchdowns on the board, right? Yeah. So I can't fault him for that. That kind of stuff comes with with development. What was your number four? My number four was find five TDs. No need to discuss it. Red X. Yeah, young. My number four was our young DBs must hold their own in this game. We found out that there was no JJ Roberts. Uh, that made a huge difference. They did well early, but you could tell that after Micah Abraham was tested and rose to the occasion, they steered away from Micah. You know, he had a much easier path for the rest of the game because they didn't want to test him, and it put more pressures on those young DBs. And when they started exploiting the matchups between our younger DBs and Ogle Kellogg and Cephas, it really started to rear its ugly head. They were just throw the ball to whoever's not on Abraham, right? So they 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 rose to the occasion, but they couldn't do it enough because damn, what's Ogle Kellogg? Six five or Cephas is six five. One of those guys was six five. And and it was just a mismatch. So I mean, good on UTSA for exploiting that mismatch. But JJ Roberts on the back end would have been a been a would have been a big difference. Uh do you want to breeze through grades real fast? Yep. Yeah. All right, real fast. Let's do this. What do you got for your quarterback? Quarterback B plus. Uh, you mentioned that he uh, was just a tad off on what could have been a couple of touchdowns there if he could have led him another yard or something. Again, we're talking about a freshman quarterback. He looked great. He got rocked uh, several times, you know, and especially late in the game. And he was standing in there tough and still throwing very good. Um, it just looked like a freshman that was out there, but a very promising freshman. It looked to me like he wasn't uh, having to throw as hard as he could. It seemed effortless to throw these long balls, uh, which earlier in the season, it looked like he might need to have more arm strength or velocity on his throws and stuff like that. thought he looked really good. Uh, offense, I have as a D, and it's basically that we put up 17 points. Uh, one of those touchdowns was on a very short field following a turnover. Um, and if you take away the 64-yard run from Ali, the offense did not look good as a whole, definitely on the running game. Uh, defense I had as a C plus. Um, I felt like early in the game, it was, like I said, the 85 Bears. But then late in the game, it seemed to be picked apart like you were talking about, and we just could not recover. Now, that entire game, it seemed like, was the second quarter was really when the defense got got torched. And you take that away, and they look great. So that grade would have went up. Special teams, I didn't really know how to grade this. Uh, I got a C- minus the mainly on the uh, one uh, missed field goal. Uh, the second one was because it was from 53 yards. It, he had already made it from 48, and it had plenty of leg on it from 48. But you got to ding him for the false start, too, that created that. So it, it may should have been lower because that was a huge sequence. Well, remember, uh, remember that was a fourth and two that yes. we got a delay of game on by trying to sneak yeah. Cole Pennington in as the holder. Didn't yeah. work. Then you yeah. nail the field goal. Then you get the false start that takes it off, and now it's a fourth and 12. That was that yeah. whole sequence, and it was pretty bad. Yeah, yeah, but not all that was on the special teams. Um, the coaching I had as a C, and talking about that uh, uh, going for fourth and two, uh, I don't mind that call of trying to get them off sides. And if you take the delay of game, hey, it worked, right? He hit it from 47, 48. 
the problem was the false start took those points off the board. Uh, your scenarios there are you get them to jump off sides and you've got it on your 20 first and 20 or first and 10 on the 20. Uh, if they have to call a timeout that erases one of their timeouts, then you just kick your field goal. So I don't mind doing that. Uh, the other speculation is though, maybe I would have went for it on fourth and two from the 25. But again, when things don't work, it looks bad in hindsight. When they do work, it looks like a genius call. Um, overall, I'm going with a C on here. I thought we came out with a really good game plan. The defense was playing lights out early. Uh, I felt like our offense throwing the crossing routes, throwing the ball downfield with all of the turmoil of having four coaches out and having people step up in new roles and everything. I thought we came out with a good game plan. It just did not hold up the entire game. Uh, we couldn't adjust in the second quarter enough to stop the floodgates that had opened up with the passing and all the other stuff. So that takes it down. Uh, fans. I don't really have a grade on the fans this week. Uh, I wasn't there. I didn't see anybody that was down there uh, say or much about the crowd or anything like that. So I can't really say. And overall I've got it as a D and that's just because it was flat at the end of the game. Uh, and early, you know, there was so much excitement up 14 to nothing and everything. Yeah, that was pretty bad. That was bad. It, the one thing I've got to make a point before we get into yeah. the quick MVPs. Sure. The fourth and 14 is always going to stick out to me. That's the play mm -hmm. on third down that Cole Pennington got absolutely rocked and yeah. out of the game. And at that point, you're deep in your own territory. There's a couple of things you do. Either A, you punt the damn football, right? And just call it what it is. Like this, we got to regroup. Or B, if he's good enough to go back in, you burn a timeout and put him back in, right? If he's not, then you punt the football. But what you don't do is you stick a quarterback in the game for the first time all year and ask him to complete a fourth and 14 conversion, right? And then it ends up in an interception that goes 57 the other way to set up a touchdown. That was easily the worst sequence of plays for me in this entire game. And it was one that gave so much momentum to UTSA. They were already kind of cruising, but that one just ignited the, the crowd for them and, and got them into the game even more, got their sideline ignited. I don't understand that one. Fourth and 14 from, I don't remember where it was, but it was not near midfield, you know? Yeah. So I think you just, there was like 10 minutes in the game. You just cut your losses at that one and punt the football. There, yeah, was, a, there was, was a lot of time in the game left. Eight eight thirty five, I think, is what it was left. I mean, but that's that's neither here nor there when you're talking about, you know, time well, left in the game. Well, it is because it wasn't around... like two minutes in the game. There was a no, lot of time left. No, that's what I'm saying. From you saying ten minutes and it being eight yeah. and a half, I mean, that's in the same ballpark. Yeah, I think a time out there would have been the call. Um, the only time, the only thing I say you don't take the time out is if you don't think Cole's got the cobwebs out to be able to go back in. If he's not going yeah. back in anyway, save the time out, punt the football, and be done with it. Well, so maybe that, it just give maybe it gives you enough time to see if he's going to be able to go back in, and then say, you know, what do we want to do? Do we want to do this? Do we want to go with a wildcat formation to yeah, to try to do something? Do you want to, you know, what do you want to do? Um, I that's the only thing is probably a timeout there for me. I don't know being down 11 uh, at that point that I would have punted. But again, if you could pin them back, you know, maybe that would have been the right call. I Dude, don't I'm know. Not, I'm not going fourth and 14 from deep in my own territory. 
I mean, damn. You know, we we didn't even try for it on fourth and two earlier in the game. So fourth and fourteen is a big ask. I I know that we you know we we're not coaches and we we don't make, get paid to make these decisions. I get that. I, I get it. Yeah. And you're right. It's easy to go back and go. I wouldn't have done that or I'd have done this way. But in real time, I was like, we should have punted there. You know, because uh, and it and it wasn't because of an interception. It was because it just it seemed rushed. It seemed it wasn't going to work. Your quarterback just got knocked out. Like that's it. Just punt the ball and live to fight another day. Yeah, I think uh, I think definitely uh, I'm I'm not punting in that situation. Oh, wow. I would have called. I, <laughs> I am a hundred percent. I am. 100%. No, I've, no, you're down by eleven. To me, you got to score. And I mean, the game to me was. I mean, it was the momentum was so far on the other side. A punt, even if you get them down, like let's say it goes in the end zone, you're gaining what eight yards or something like that. Because I think they were on the twenty-eight or something, weren't what? they? What? Us? Weren't they on the 20? We were on our own side of the 50 when that happened, I'm pretty sure. With a 57-yard interception return? It was a long pass. Yeah. I don't know, I, man. I don't know where we were, but it wasn't I'm like, going I'm I'm to look it up. Well, I'm well look let's it look up. it up later. We got some other stuff yeah. to do. So what's your, yeah. what's your offensive MVP? Uh, offensive MVP, I'm going with uh, a three-headed monster of uh, Pennington, Jaden Harrison, and Rasheen Ali. Ali would have probably done a lot more uh, for consideration if he would have played longer, but 64-yard dagger there in limited time. He had 10.2 yards uh, uh, per carry. Uh, Jaden Harrison looked amazing with uh, yards after the catch and everything. And uh, Pennington, I really liked how he was uh, the moxie that he had and throwing long and uh, reads across the middle. I thought he did a great job. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. Ali was probably have been my number one just because he had that beautiful scamper. Jaden Harrison killed the yards after catch. That was awesome. Pennington was pretty pretty sharp, you know, and it just would have been, I mean, I think if like, man, a couple of more yards or just, you know, a lead a receiver two or three times and his stat line could look, could have looked gaudy. I mean, it could have been 350 and three touchdowns. It, it's just those little things. I've right, I've got your I've got your uh, yards here on that third and five. We were on our twenty eight, and he got sacked. So we were on our twenty our thirty seven. Uh, so that that you're looking at that, you punt. Yeah, you can get them maybe on the five, but if it goes in the uh, end zone, they're getting the ball on the twenty. Well, I our, don't see it. As, our thirty seven would be on the wrong side of the fifty. No, no, the UTSA. They're twenty. They're thirty seven. We were on our twenty eight. Got sacked, and then we're on our thirty. They're thirty seven. That's different. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, who's your defensive MVP? Uh, defensive MVP is Eli Neal. Man, he. Uh, uh, there was other people that made some huge impacts, and you could talk about a bunch of people, but he had the interception. He had the fumble recovery. He had uh, second most tackles on the team. Uh, he just seemed to be all over the place, and uh, he deserves it. Yeah, he does. Uh, special supporting MVP role to Micah Abraham. He freaking lit it up, too. Another vintage interception. Awesome. Who's your special teams MVP, if you have one? Alec Clark. Uh, there wasn't yeah. much to pick from. So. Well, he did a damn good job, though. <laughs> well, look, final words on this one are the season is over, the herd is 6-7, and seven, and now you begin the climb. It's got to. It's going to be a re a new look herd offense. We know that a lot of new pieces are going to be there. Some all time greats have exhausted el, exhausted eligibility and or decided to make a run at the NFL. Some impactful players have transferred, and we expect some impactful players to transfer in. So it's going to be an interesting next three or four months to say the least. But 
As an, as for now, the 2023 season is in the books, and it's a six and six six and seven effort for the herd. Russ, you got anything before we? Okay, uh, well, guys, hang with us because on the other side of this break, we're going to have Matt White to come on and talk to us a little bit about the brand new rebranding of the Marshall Baseball Dugout Club. You don't want to miss it. It's a Thundercast. As promised, we've got Matt White, president of the Marshall Baseball Dugout Club, joining us today on the Thundercast to give us all the new information on the brand new rebranded. I don't know what you want to call it, Matt. We'll let you handle the uh, the, the names of this, uh, of the new Marshall Baseball Dugout Club. The Dugout Club in some form has existed for a while, but as we've seen with um, other clubs, sports-specific clubs, there's been a little bit of a rebranding, and I think that just kind of coincides with, I don't know, modern technology, and it's just maybe the right time to do that, and all of that stuff. So first of all, welcome to the Thundercast. We appreciate you taking some time out of your morning and talking with us a little bit, and let's get to know about the Dugout Club. What do you say? Yeah. Thanks, Russ. Thanks, KD. Um, yeah, exactly. So the Dugout Club has existed for a long time. It was run by a Marshall baseball legend named Greg Rousey. He's passed away. And um, for the past few years, the Delgott Club has continued to exist as an annual event, annual golf tournament, um, you know, some, some, some tailgates and things like that. Um, but we decided that it needed to, as you said, come into the new age, uh, get up to date with technology. And so we have rebranded and retooled the Delgott Club to create um, more of a modern um, look, a database, and a better way for the Marshall baseball community to communicate with each other. So at its essence, what is the dugout club? Because I mistakenly, even in the five things segment of the show, I th thought it would just be the, the next uh, edition of the championship fund for baseball. Cause that's kind of what it used to be, you know? And, and right. Russell's like, no, 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 it, that's the different part. Now it's not the championship fund. It's its own thing. So that's, I think where a lot of folks are going to draw the comparison as well. So exactly yep. what is the dugout club? So our, our intention is not necessarily to raise money. You know, that's, that's what the big green does. Um, if somebody wants to give to the championship fund, uh, there's ways that the university has already set up to do that. Our intention is to create a baseball community, especially with what's going on right now with the stadium. You know, there's a lot of, act, there's a lot of activity, um, how do we bring the baseball community together with everything that's going on and, and really formalize the dugout club? And if you look at what soccer did, if you go to the soccer games and you see that, that tent that they've got set up yeah. there, you know, it, right, right by the, um, right by the bleachers, uh, it's for their um, booster club. And we, we kind of stole that idea and we're going to do the same thing. So, so, um, this membership, then you don't have to be a big green member or anything like that. Well, we encourage everyone to be a big green member, but who well, can join the dugout club? Well, anybody can join. If you're a fan of baseball, mm -hmm. if you're a former player, alumni, um, it's wide open. There's no requirement. Um, you don't have to be a big green member. Of course, we encourage that. Uh, and the idea is that, that this will help draw people in that maybe – have not joined the big green before or have not thought about 
um, you know, ways to give uh, back to Marshall University. This is kind of like that, you know, get them in the door. We'll get them out there down the left field line. We'll get them under the tent. Um, you know, everybody loves talking about baseball. We'll get them talking about baseball, get them excited about the program, and um, see what happens from there. All right, so we've talked a little bit about, you know, tailgates and, and perks like that, but I guess folks are really going to want to know, all right, if I'm going to join this, what do what what kind of perks are there for me? Are there do I get what do I get? Yeah, well, we've got different levels. Um, you know, the, the base level is twenty five bucks a year annually renewable, and that gets you access to the tent, which is still a a, a work in progress. You know, the, the stadium is still under construction. Um, the Big Green and Coach Beals wants the dugout club to have its own space uh, down the left field line. Um, so your membership, your base level membership, gets you access to that, um, as well as Coach Beals. If you haven't seen Coach Beals' um, newsletters that he types up, they're great. Um, he, he's, he does a great job of informing everyone as to what's going on with the program. So you'll get access to that. And you get access to the team store. So we got together with BSN Sports. And a few times a year, they are going to open up a baseball-exclusive team store that you can go on and order your, you know, your team gear and your baseball gear. Um, and you'll have access to that. Now, as you go through the levels of membership, you got single, you got double, you got triple home run, grand slam. As you go through the levels of membership, the perks will improve. So you get, you start getting better discounts in the team store. Uh, you'll get more access to the program. You'll get one of these nice hats. Um, you know, our grand slam level guys that, you know, we're still trying to work out all the details or, you're going to have exclusive access to things that, that most people won't have access to. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I like the idea of a tiered based system because it, it, it's, it doesn't lock everybody into a one size fits all because we know the herd fans and, and most fan bases around the country aren't a one size fits all type uh, scenario right. anyway. So this really opens the doors and let more people be able to get involved at, at levels that they feel, feel comfortable. So I love that. I love that idea. And, um, just to be, I got to ask, is, is there a graphic or something somewhere? Like if I go to herd zone and go to the uh, big green page, there's a nice graphic with all the tiers and all the benefits. And oh, yeah. so you guys have something that's easily viewable. I get Where can someone find that? So on herd zone, uh, we've got a tab on the baseball page, uh, okay. dugout club. Um, the website's up and running. Uh, we've got uh, out of the gate, we, we, we launched everything over the weekend. So December the 16th, December 17th, we went live. We've already got 51 members uh, signed up um, and it's, it's fairly simple. You just click on the link and it, it takes your, your contact information, allows you to select which level you want to choose and, uh, and you're in. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually looking at it right now and uh, I see the different levels on here and the different membership uh, amounts. Now, what do those membership dues go toward? hundred percent. And I'm not, not about what you get back. I'm sorry. I know, I know yeah. that uh, right. we, we already talked about that, but what does that money uh, get used for? I guess. Well, a hundred percent of this is going directly to the baseball program. So we set it up to where the money actually um, when you register, it gets deposited directly into the um, the baseball account. So you know if if Co this is in addition to Coach Beals's annual budget. So you know if 
if he needs a, a new pitching machine or a new Rhapsody machine or, you know, all the advancements in technology that, that baseball programs in the, pro, in the country need right now, um, he's going to have an additional source to go to to get that. And, and again, this isn't our intention. The intention isn't to raise money, but that's a byproduct of what we're trying to do. Sure. Um, it, you know, if he needs to communicate to the, to the membership that, hey, you know, uh, we, we need a new batting cage. The guys need to do this and do that. Uh, he can communicate that message through the dugout club membership. And you, know, you never know who's going to step up and, and help out. Yeah. Now, if somebody, if somebody gets, if, you know, we've already had a, a former big leaguer reach out and, and ask how he can help. Um, you know, he, people like that are going to want to actually, you know, set up plan giving opportunities. And then, you know, our job then is to turn them over to the big green and let them, you know, handle the, handle the real donors, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's so much opportunity, right? And we know that the um, excitement around herd baseball, I don't think, has ever been higher, right? Because it's the long time coming with Jack Cook Field and, and this brand new stadium, and it looks really beautiful and just all of it, right down to the designs on the turf. It's just getting the blood flowing for a lot of people for herd baseball that were disenchanted for decades and decades because they were promised a field and they had maybe even donated to a fundraising effort for a field and stadium before. And now they can physically drive down third Avenue and see it. You know, they can see the dirt that was moving in those early stages. They can see the concrete walls going up. You can see the turf laid down. So it's, it's now real. I know for me, the first time I came back to Huntington and I actually laid my eyes on it, it was one of those, like a realization. There's nothing else that you can explain. It was like, wow, it's really real. It's really here. So I think this is an excellent opportunity for more people to get uh, reinvigorated or get just invigorated with herd baseball for the first time. This is a great way to get closer to the program. That's one thing that we try to do here at the Thundercast is draw our fans closer to the programs. We don't want people to just be a football fan or just be a basketball fan or just be a baseball fan for that matter. We want people to be fans of herd athletics and for 25 bucks, if I can get extra perks, right, to go to a game, yeah, I got my ticket and I can go sit in my seat or I can just roll down to the you, you know, the dugout club tent and you know, meet some fellow herd baseball fans. It doesn't seem like necessarily a bad thing to do, you know. Uh, it's an excellent opportunity to get involved and become closer to this program. And I know you, you're saying that well, fundraising is not our goal. It's a byproduct, but it sounds to me like your goal is – we want a more close knit, stronger fan base for herd for herd baseball, That's because right. I want you to speak about this as well. In addition to what I just said, let's talk about the monster that is Sun Belt baseball and yeah. how having a rabid baseball fan base directly impacts our competitiveness in this conference. Yeah, the Sun Belt Conference is the arguably the fourth or fifth best baseball conference in the country. So, you know, we've got a lot of work to do to compete in this conference. And, you know, ha- having that home field advantage that, that you know, we can create, um, that, that might be what we need to, to move the needle a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know there's a, there's a lot of good baseball that gets played locally. And, and we know that, and, you know, I'm not saying like, oh, we only got to recruit local players. But I'm saying 
people love baseball in in Huntington and Barbersville and and Wayne and oh, yeah. Benson and these areas like youth baseball. That's where my son played youth baseball in that area, and I know it's a, it's a it's a passionate thing for folks. So uh, giving them something else that they can rally behind. You know, it's one thing to have driven up Route Two and going to watch a game at the Kennedy Center. It's going to be a whole nother thing to walk in downtown Huntington, find your brick at the stadium, yeah. and then go set inside and watch the herd play at home in Jack Cook. It's going to be a completely new experience that I think folks in this area are going to rally behind. I know Russ is rallying behind it. Isn't that right, dude? <laughs> Nothing better than a hot dog and a frosty cold one uh, watching uh, watching some baseball. I'm geared up for it, man. I am. Uh, Matt, where can anybody go to to join this? I mean, you talked about uh, going to Herd Zone and clicking, but uh, it, do you have any other place uh, like website direct link or anything like that that we can point people toward? Yeah, yeah. So I. I... In in the uh, I think in the thread there with KD uh, sent you the the link directly to our website. Um, we've got a Twitter page. Uh, okay. We are we are mainly operating from the Marshall Baseball Alumni Facebook page at the moment. Okay, that's where most of our our folks are. So we're 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 kind of building our presence within those pages. And I think that as we get closer to the season, we're going to start building more of our own social media presence. Okay. Uh, so for now, we're we're you know capitalizing on Marshall Athletics and, and all those pages associated with 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 Marshall Athletics to to build the following, get it to where we got a base level membership uh, that we can go off of. So awesome. that website then is thedugoutclub.totalcamps.com. That's if right. If you want to put that down and bookmark it. Uh, so you can go back there. We'll have that in the description as well. But the dugoutclub.totalcamps.com. Again, that is a redirect from that link on Herd Zone that uh, we talked about earlier. And then find them on social media, like their pages, follow along for all the news and stuff that will be coming out. Yeah, we will definitely have all the links to all the social medias and the main Dugout Club website in the links in the description of the episode so it'll make we'll make it really easy for you to find and we'll put a direct link in there so that you can join without having to click through two or three pages we we're we really going to get behind uh, the dugout club and what they're trying to do because herd baseball has an opportunity we said this with softball when we joined the sunbelt that they have an opportunity to become a cornerstone athletic program for marshall in the sunbelt i feel the same way about baseball the journey, the, 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 the build might take a little bit longer to get there, but by golly, the momentum is all on the side of herd baseball. I want to tell you this, Matt, that Russ and I both uh, bought bricks for the brick campaign. You can see the one over my shoulder right here. Uh, the other one is, well, it's over this shoulder right there. Um, and we just bought our season tickets yesterday, so we'll be putting fans in seats for every home Marshall baseball game, courtesy of the Thundercast, because – what I tell you, we want to build herd athletics fans. Thank you so much for taking some time and giving us the lowdown on the dugout club today. I want to give you one more opportunity to say anything that we haven't covered uh, about the dugout club or just Marshall baseball in general. Speak it directly to the herd fans. Uh, you guys covered most of it. I'll say that, you know, coach Beals is, is if you don't know much about coach Beals, he's a great guy. He's a great coach. He's new. So he needs us as much as we need him right now. So this dugout club is a great place to go to get to know Coach Beals and, and you know, get him up to speed on who we are, 
um, as a herd baseball community. So join the Delgott Club and get to know the program, get to know Coach, and uh, we'll see everybody March 1st. Yeah, you will. All right, Russ, let's take it around the herd. Yeah, we're going to start off with a couple of schedules. These actually came out last week and everything, but the baseball schedule is out and the softball schedule is out. I don't want to go through every single game, but if you head on over to Herd Zone, you'll see where you can catch them uh, for their home games. Don't forget, March the 1st is the very first game at Jack Cook Field for baseball, and that's against Manhattan. They'll be there for a weekend. Uh, but you can also check and see if they're going to be in your neck of the woods or wherever you might be for away games. Yeah. Baseball, softball schedules, both out. Yep. Remember, I guess the, the, the thing, the big thing about baseball that you want to talk about outside of the Sunbelt schedule and, and the first game is that West Virginia appears three times on the schedule. So there's mm-hmm. going to be a game in Huntington, a game in Morgantown and a game in Charleston. So you're going to have plenty of opportunities to see a, broken up three game series between the herd and the mountaineers that, that that's a really cool wrinkle in the schedule i think that's pretty cool man that that that's one of those luxuries that a sport like baseball allows you to do and that's just pr- pretty cool yeah now softball just to highlight some things because fans love to see this morgan zirkle does not appear to be uh pulling any punches with who she's going after we've got arkansas uh michigan state penn state uh, a couple other big names on here, Arizona, uh, Indiana, Purdue, and Purdue again, Notre Dame is on here, a uh, lot of big name Kentucky, and then of course our conference slate that you are going to see every time, but lots of big name opponents that we are going to be playing this year, so Head on over to Herd Zone. Like we said, you can see the full schedule for both teams. Yep. Lots of big opportunities for games at Dot Hicks Field. Of course, they're also hosting the Thundering Herd Invitational uh, in early March, which is what's going to bring Purdue to the dot. It's going to bring Butler and uh, Radford. And then you got Marshall March Madness at the dot the next weekend. And that's how Notre Dame gets here. So there's going to be some opportunities to get to the dot and see some big opponents. We, we know that the RPI argument is what ultimately sunk the herd last year from getting in an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament, despite being the Sunbelt Conference runner-up. So Morgan Zirkle's like, not this year, Chief. The RPI is not going to be an issue. It's just going to put all of the onus on the herd to go out there and perform and win those games. So if they're able to win games, the RPI should not be an issue for the herd being on the bubble for an at-large bid in the NCAA tournament. All right, men's soccer picked up a couple of transfers. We got, and I hope that I'm saying this name right, Rohin Capila, and he's a transfer from Green Bay, Wisconsin. And we also have Alexander Vukovic, transfer from UC Riverside. KD, what continues? The reload continues. The reload continues. Both of those guys were listed as defenders. Uh, You can see their stats uh, if you look them up, but uh, just looks like we are still getting player after player that wants to come here under Chris Grassy and play for Marshall. And uh, I think you're going to continue to see that happen over the years. Lose Matthew Bell. Just gain a few more. Yeah. It's it's uh 
always exciting to see who decides to come to the herd. So the, the, the class has no shortage of talent, as you would expect. So the herd soccer program is not taking a dip. All right, we got uh, some track and field news. We signed Mara Pearson out of uh, high school, uh, Fort Recovery, Ohio, and she will be coming here uh, upon graduation. Cool. Taking it over for some round ball news. Women's basketball beat Elon on the road on Sunday, 84 to 77, and they are playing Wake Forest today at noon. Yeah. This is a good opportunity for the herd to get a little bit of a, um, I don't want to call it a marquee win because this is nowhere near what Florida was, but mm -hmm. uh, Wake Forest is still, even though this is not a basketball term, it's still a power five school. And those always carry a little bit of, a little bit of extra weight, uh, basketball team, the herd, the women's herd is rolling four straight mm -hmm. looking great. Uh, we we're starting to see more and more players come into their own. Uh, the scoring hasn't fallen off at all. The, the defense is starting to continue to notch up every single game. Abby Beeman is just thriving. I mean, that's that's thriving. right. There's there's no better way to say it than thriving in this uh, this offense and defense. Yeah. And uh, you've you've helped coin a uh, new term. What are you calling it now? Yeah, I think the herd women's basketball is the most relentless forty minutes in basketball, and I think that Marshall should absolutely start branding it that way. Uh, and I, I'm going to say this. I said that, and I don't know if you caught this, but Coach Kim sure did like that. She gave that tweet a like. So I think uh, the head ball coach is behind it. Uh, I think she appreciates the fact that we noticed that and are not just uh, saying the same old things. They did. Th this is what they are. They're a relentless basketball team. They will not be outplayed. They will not be out-hustled. They may come up short on the scoreboard from time to time, but it will not be because they laid down and let a game get away. All of the Herd's opponents will earn those victories, and they will be damn tired after the game to the point to where they probably go, geez, don't put them on the schedule again, right? Yeah. The, the most relentless 40 minutes in basketball, it's Herd women's basketball. you got to get out to the cam and watch a game as we continue to give tickets away. If you go once, you will go back again, I promise you. I keep talking to family and friends about getting out there and watching that it is just – such a good two hours or less of your your afternoon or your evening or just to go to the cam and watch this style of play and knowing that it's going to get better right i mean this mm -hmm. is year one while it's being implemented and we don't have the full recruiting cycles on on getting the roster in here just imagine what this is going to continue to look like as it grows yep all right, men's basketball. They beat Bluefield 103-70 to at home on Monday. They'll be hosting UNC Wilmington tonight at 7 p.m. at the camp. And keep in mind, this is the Herd Holidays game. Bring a teddy bear. Those are going to go to the Hoops uh, Children's Hospital, and they will also have Santa Marco there for some photos with the kids and a whole bunch of cool stuff for the holidays. Yep, and of course, a home game means free tickets, so you should definitely, they will have already been given away by the time you hear this episode, but that just goes for every home game. you got to be on the lookout for tickets. Uh, looks like in this one, this is, this is going to be a tough matchup, right? Because UNC Wilmington's 8-2, and two, good team. You know, they came in, and I believe they beat Kentucky shortly after 
you know, we we got an ass whooping by Kentucky. So this is a good opportunity to notch a big win. Men's basketball is doing okay now. Won what three out of four or two out of three? Um, it, couple of I think it's three wins. in a row. I thought it was three in a row too, and I tweeted that, and then I went and looked back, and I think it was three out of four. I think we got, oh there was there was a loss in yeah, there. Toledo, that, yeah. I think nipped Toledo, them. yeah, 88-87. But yeah. still, but they're trending upwards, playing much better ball. And this is an opportunity to get a win at home against a really, really good team. So pack the cam tonight, even though when you hear this, the game will already happened. All right. Well, that does it for me, unless you have anything else for around the herd. Nope. I've got nothing else. So you might as well take us out of here. Yeah. Whether you see us at uh, the Joan, whether you see us at the dot, whether you see us at the cam cheering on our basketball squads, no matter where you see us, we're going to be saying go herd. Go herd. It's the Thundercast. We'll see you next week. Later. Later.